But uh, we're going to have good church this week, next week, and looking forward. Brother Javi's going back to college, and Brother Cruz is going to college uh, to become a lawyer. And that may be a good thing for some of you. <clears throat> you may need him in the future, so pray for him. Amen. I want to turn your attention to Mark chapter 8. In verse 27, and uh, I just appreciate what the Lord's doing in our lives. The Lord has been so faithful. I asked the Lord this morning when I was praying, I said, Lord, help me not to be a complainer and a fault finder. Help me to be a praise giver. Help me to be thankful. Amen. You know what's so amazing to me? I um, watched us worship the Lord today, and you know, there's a lot of people embarrassed to worship the Lord in church services. A lot of churches do not worship God the way we do. Well, let me give you a little something to make you not feel embarrassed if you're having a struggle with that. I was sitting in a restaurant yesterday, and TV screens all around, BJ's, and I looked up, and uh, there was a baseball game in process. And um, I, I just kind of looked at it because it looked so weird. There was nobody in the stadium. Well, there actually was. There were paper people in the stadium. They actually got images of people and set them in the seats where it would kind of make it look like that there were people up there watching the game. I thought, now, how silly that is. It, anybody with a brain knows that those are not real people sitting up there. And I got to thinking about that this morning while I was standing down, and I thought, why, why would anybody be embarrassed to worship God? Why would you be embarrassed in a world with so many weird people I've seen people with some of the most outlandish tattoos. One guy I saw a picture of him. He had a mustache and a beard in the front, and he fixed it in the back where he had a look like a mustache and a little beard, and he had, he had a big eyeball in the back of his head. One guy had a picture of a head on the back of his head, and it looked like another person on the back of his head. I mean, people just... They, they just don't care how they look. And then some Pentecostals are afraid to raise your hand. You're afraid to get out of your pew because somebody might look at you a little different. You're afraid to really get loose when you start feeling the Holy Ghost. And you feel like doing that, but you don't do it. Shame on us for being intimidated by anybody in this world. Don't be intimidated to worship God. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand wave right now. Say, I am glad to be in the church. I'm glad to be Pentecostal. I'm glad to be full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you. Verse 27, Mark chapter 8. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, 
Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Going back to that statement that was made and the question that was asked, Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? But Peter said, Thou art the Christ. I want to preach for a few minutes this morning just a simple thought, the most important question ever asked. The most important question ever asked. Who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? And Jesus can be a lot of things to a lot of people. Even among the Pentecostal ranks. A lot of people see Jesus so much different than he really is. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Could we love him one more time before we're seated? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Bless this message today. Your power. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This is quite a statement made here by Jesus when he made that statement, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. This statement is the opening words of what the Bible students call the Great Commission. These verses are the parting words of Jesus to his disciples before he went back into heaven. These instructions answer the question, should the followers of Jesus Christ invest their time, their talents, and their treasures in spending time spreading this message. This is an important claim. Jesus said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. If this statement is not true, if Jesus is not really 
the Lord. And all authority does not belong to him, then what we're doing today is simply silly. If Jesus is not really the Lord, much of our Bible could not be true. Many of the hymns that we sing would be total foolishness. The teachings that you and I follow and the way of life that we promote and live are just personal opinions and a social custom if Jesus does not have all power. The Christian faith would become just another religion, a product of human imagination and wishful thinking. But on the other hand, if it is true, then everything is affected by that statement. It touches every area of our life. It means that Jesus and his authority is just as valid as the White House and it is in the church house. The word is just as important when you're sitting in your living room or you're sitting in this room. If it is true, then no one is exempt. No one in the world stands outside of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The richest man in the world, the most powerful woman, the most popular rock star, all answer to that authority of Jesus Christ. If this is true, then somebody or someday, every one of us in this room and everyone in the world will be held accountable for how we have reacted to this claim that all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's quite a statement. You can agree or disagree with this claim. This may well be the most important subject that you will ever consider in your lifetime is Jesus Christ really God. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe that, you need to start praying that God would give you a good old-fashioned revelation of the oneness of God and understand who He is. Amen. It is not the will of God for Pentecostals to be unsure about who God is. You need to know who He is and not only know who He is, but know Him in a relationship that will make a difference in your life. I'm afraid that most people have probably created a Jesus in their lives as an image that appeals to their sentiments. There is in our world, the Republican Jesus, who is against tax increases and activist judges, and he's for family and owning handguns. We got re 
Republican Jesuses for some people. And then we got Democratic Jesuses who are against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprints and printing more money every day. Then there's the therapist Jesus who helps us cope cope with life's problems. He heals our past and tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. Then there's the Starbucks Jesus. Uh, It's where he drinks specialty coffee and loves uh, spiritual conversation, drives hybrid cars, and, and goes to film festivals and book signings. There's the open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except if they're not as open-minded as you are. Then there's the touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than all of the non-Christians. And he even determines the outcome of the Super Bowl in the World Series. Then there's the good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. But Jesus defies All of these limitations, these are limitations that people put on God or categorize Him in a specific uh, realm. But I'm telling you today, and you need to hear me good, God is not limited in some figment or character in our imagination. God is not limited to a person or a thing or a place or an idea. He is much more than any of that that I just said. I'm telling you, once you get the revelation of who Jesus really is and you understand Him as having all powerful and all might and all love, you understand that He is truly able to say, I am God Colossians 1 and 15 says he is the image of the invisible God for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible he is before all things and in him all things hold together and are sustained for God was pleased to have All his fullness dwell in him. The image we are to have of Jesus is not that of a super Democrat or Republican or a patriot or a therapist or a sports enthusiast, but the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He's more than just a God that we can put in front of us and put our eyes upon and say, that's my God. I'm telling you, God is a spirit and he's everywhere. Everybody can have him at any place, anywhere in the world. And he's alive. He's on the throne and he knows what he's doing. John 1.10, he was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The world did not know him and did not receive him. In other words, they rejected him. If you have a Facebook page, you may be asked to uh, be friended by someone. When that happens, you're presented with two little boxes. One says, confirm, and you check it, or the other says, ignore, and you check it. If you do not want to be a Facebook friend with someone, you simply ignore their request. You reject their invitation. We do exactly the same thing with Jesus. He requests us to be his friends. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And he sends out the call. And we can either confirm him or ignore him. The choice is up to us. The Gospel of John was one of the last books of the New Testament to be written. It appeared to have been written from the city of Ephesus where the Apostle John was the pastor of the church after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. The first three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, had already been written and they were in circulation. And for this reason, John did not recount many of the events already recorded in the other Gospels. Nor did he set out to write a chronology account of the life of Jesus. John states his purpose in his writing in his account. In John 20 and 31, But these are written, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John introduces the Lord Jesus Christ with three tremendous statements. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It can be stated in this simple sentence, it is the most compact theological statement in the whole Bible. These verses teach us three separate truths about who Jesus really is. First, he is eternally God. In the beginning was the Word. John begins the gospel with God in eternity. Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus, and Mark began the story of the life of Jesus 
with his ministry of John the Baptist. Luke gives the story of Jesus' birth, but John transports us to the eternity past before creation, before man, before the existence of time, John moves back beyond human history to start his account of Jesus. John begins his gospel with these words, In the beginning, the word translated beginning is a time word. Psalms 90 and 1 uh, says can help us to understand the concept behind his word. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even or ever, uh, thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. So the word everlasting is figurative in the Hebrew. It means from the vanishing point to the vanishing point. God is from the vanishing point in the past and reaches to the vanishing point in eternity. Just as far as you can see from vanishing point to vanishing point, you have to understand that he is still God. John's use of the term in the beginning is probably a conscious referral to the very first words in the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Does that begin God? Where? When you go back to the creation, we see that God is already there. And that is exactly what John says in verse 1. In the beginning, God was the Word. In the beginning, was the Word. Notice, it did not say uh, is the word it was not in the beginning that the word started out or was begotten was is known as a and I know this is going to impress you it's a durative imperative or imperfect meaning didn't that help you it's continued action in fact the, the sense of the entire verse is this. In the beginning was continuing the Word, and the Word was continuing with God, and the Word was continually God. The Word was in the beginning. What beginning are we talking to? Just as far back as you want to go, God was already there when the beginning started. Well, somebody said, there has to be a beginning somewhere, all right, if you want to believe that. Wherever you want to begin, God is already there to meet you. He's already past tense. He's already been there. And so you've got to understand that God always was, always will be. He is all-powerful, almighty, first and last, 
beginning and the end. Oh, when you understand that, you begin to understand what a mighty God we serve. John tells us that in the beginning was the word. In the Greek, it was the word logos. It occurs in verse 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You can't get any more one God than that right there. I mean, that just tells us, just plain and clear, there is only one God. In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, there was God. And God, or the Word, was made flesh. When was that? When Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was born into this world and became the supreme sacrifice for all sins of all human beings. And you understand uh, the concept that so many get messed up in our world on the Trinity concept. They've been taught that there's a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That is not Scripture. You cannot find that not one place in the Word of God. You'll never find God the Son or God the Holy Ghost. It's always the Son of God. And we know that God and Jesus Christ are the same because it was the Word, it was God that was made flesh and dwelled among us. God robed Himself in flesh. Not two gods, but the God, the only God on the throne. He robed Himself in flesh. He came down to this earth and died so that you and I could have redemption of sins. He had to make Him a human body because God cannot die. He had to create a human body and go into that body. Because God would never die. God is a spirit, always has been, always will be. You're never going to see God, only the manifestations of God. What God chooses to be at a given time for humanity to reveal himself and his wonders and his power. He will reveal himself uh, to us many times to show us how powerful and mighty he is. But you cannot see God. God is a spirit. It's just like the wind. You can get on uh, uh, YouTube right now and look at uh, Hurricane Hannah, how uh, the wind is blowing. But the reason we know the wind is blowing because you see it having contact with something, having contact with a building, and you see that building go roly-poly. The, the wind blowing because of what moves uh, uh, against and with that power. But the wind, you can't see it. God, you can see what he does in this world. You can look at his handiwork. You can look at his healings and his deliverances and the times when he sets people free from sin and makes a new creature out of it. You can see all of that happen, but you can't see God. So why is Jesus called the Word? 
What is the significance of that title? John calling Jesus the word, he was connecting with the thought of his day. To the Jews, a word was something concrete, and it was closer to what we call a deed. When, and when this happens, when God speaks, the answer is that thing is done. God said, let there be light, and it was done. He spoke, and it happened. To the Greeks, the word logos represented the soul of the universe. It was the rational principle from which everything else came. It was a created governing force of the universe. Not only is he the eternal, but he is equally God. John states that the word was with God literally face to face. Not only is the word eternally God, but the word was God, and God was the word. The Jehovah's Witness Bible translation that they use uh, is translated, uh, the New World Translation translates this verse this way. And the word was a God. They do this by supplying the indefinite article A uh, where none is. They put something there that shouldn't be there, uh, and it wasn't there in the original Greek. Unlike any other widely followed religious leader in history, Jesus made a unique claim. He declared himself as God, not a God, not God-like, but God incarnate, the creator of the universe. Verse 3 leaves no doubt that Jesus is the creator of the universe. He said all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Amen. First Corinthians 8, 6 supports this verse. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through him we live. The author of the book of Hebrews also looks back at the beginning when he said in Hebrews 1 and 1, God whom at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the father by the prophets has in these last days spoken by his son in whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
When John wrote the book of Revelation again, he assured that Jesus was the creator. In Revelation 4 and 11, he says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The Apostle Paul revealed in first or in Colossians 1:15 that Jesus is not only the creator of the universe, but he is the sustainer as well. For it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created. Uh, through him and for him, and he is before all things, and all things in him consist. I want to conclude today with this same question, which I began this morning. What do you think of Jesus? Who do you think he is? These questions have occupied the minds of men down through centuries of time. It was a question that was continually raised during the Lord's earthly ministry. As Jesus rode a donkey into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, people turned to one another and they asked the question, Who is this? Even his disciples asked the question among themselves when Jesus stood on the bow of the boat and said, Peace be still to a storm, and immediately the storm ceased. And they looked at one another and said, Who is this man that even the elements obey his command? Really the most important question ever asked is who do you think Jesus is? It may not matter what other people think. It may not matter what the government thinks or what religious people think or non-religious people think. It may not matter what your school thinks or your relatives or your neighbors, your friends. But what really matters this morning is who do you think Jesus is because if you don't have him in the right place in your life your life is not going to be what Jesus wants it to be and because who you think he is is so important you're going to act or react you're going to love or hate Accept or reject. Go with or stay behind. Depending on who you think Jesus is. Because if he's just a story told. If he's just another man. If he's just something that we can refer to in a point of our past history. And it doesn't really matter how we live our lives, how we treat people, how we treat God, how we think, 
where we go and what we do is not important if Jesus was merely a man. That's why he asked his disciples. He wanted to know. He asked, Nick, he said, who do people, who do men say that I am? They said, oh, John the Baptist, Elias, one of the prophets. Jesus said, all right, that's good. I understand that. But who do you think he is? And that's the question I'm asking today. Who do you think he is? Because if your thinking's not right about Jesus, your living is not going to be if your thinking is not right about Jesus, then your outcome, where you spend eternity, is not going to be right. Because if your thinking about Jesus is not right, the enemy can come along and plant seeds of doubt, and you can start questioning this message. You can start questioning the purpose. You can start doubting and questioning and wondering. And you can spend your time, instead of being thankful and happy and excited about being in the kingdom, you can start spending your time trying to disprove it. And that's a dangerous place to be. Would you stand with me? So what do you think about it? It's important what you think about Jesus. It's very important. See, Brother Dave, what you think about Jesus is causing you to keep coming to church. They see what you think about Jesus causes you to still worship. What you think about Jesus makes you pay those tithes and offerings, Sister Gail. What you think about Jesus will cause you to want to go to Bible college and get an education because you want to do something in his kingdom. What you think about Jesus is going to determine what you do with your life, how you live it. Because if we don't think about him and know him like he wants us to know, we'll never, ever fulfill the real purpose that God created us. He wants us to win and love and seek, find and help reach out to people in our world. And Pentecostals, if we're not careful, we're going to get so messed up, so occupied with our own world, our own problems, our own things, that we don't have time for anybody else. I'm going to tell you, God never called us just to be happy people. God never, God never gave us what he gave us. He never set you free. He never gave you the, that born-again experience so that you could just be happy and excited and, and just say, hey, I'm one of his. I'm in the kingdom now. God gave it to you because he wants you to do something with it. He wants you to be a light in this dark world. He wants you to shine in this world. He wants you to be a good example in this world. I didn't say example. I said good example. 
He wants you to be a good example. He wants you to be a right person, a righteous person. Wants us to be loving and caring people. And if we don't know him as he is, if we don't understand who he is, and we don't understand what it's all about, we'll miss the true meaning of it all. We'll miss why we are truly here. Can I tell you, every one of you standing in this building today, not an accident, you're here today. Every one of us in this building, every member, every visitor, God had a purpose in you being because he wants you to understand how much he loves you, how much he cares about you. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to go to heaven. Why do you say that, Brother Gandy? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says he's not willing that any, everybody say any, that any would perish. All would come to repentance. God didn't want anybody saved. That's why I'm glad God's not human. He's human, and it'd be dangerous if I was God. Be less dingbats out there driving up and down the roads. I couldn't be God. You think about it. I'm so glad that he's not like us. Not a God that holds grudges and gets angry and, and does things out of retaliation. Well, I read in the Bible where God, yeah, he did. God's chosen people that he showed them miracle after miracle after miracle and gave them blessing after blessing after blessing did thing after thing. He did so much for them and they just kept turning their back on him. He finally said, all right, I'm going to get your attention. Started getting some of their attention. Some of them had to die. Some of them had to get out of the way. God had to move them out, get that nasty spirit, that unconcernedness, that griping and complaining spirit out where the rest of them could move forward. And God will do that. But that's not what he wants. God wants to love everybody. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And if I'm lost, it's because I to be lost. And I'll say the positive side of that also. If I'm saved, it's because I choose to be saved. I want you to just close your eyes and stand here for a minute and I want you to I want you to just talk to the Lord just for a moment. I want you to tell the Lord, God, I know who you are, and if there's anybody that does not know who God is and you want to know him, ask him. God, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. Give me the revelation of the oneness of God in Jesus' name, baptism. Come on, let's pray that, church.
reach up to him right now and pray, God, let your revelation be turned loose. God, let your authority be turned loose in our church, in our city, in our community, in our state, in our world. God, wake us up. Help us, God, to be awake. Help us to be watching. Help us to know who you are. Hallelujah. Gloria Bosula. Hallelujah. Amen. I want the Lord to deal with our city, deal with backsliders. Our church would be completely full today if just a Tyler backslider come back home. We would have to think about doing something else. We'd have to have two services to get another building. Or I believe revival's right around the corner. I do believe that God could. You know, when we talk about revival, you believe God could fill the church up. I believe God could fill this thing up. This church would be completely full in a moment. All we got to do is just get hungry for it. All right, God bless you. I thank you for coming, all of our guests. Thank you for Appreciate you coming. I hope you felt something today that will bring you back. I hope that you felt the presence of the Lord, and I hope you felt our love for you. Don't apologize to you because we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do. You don't feel our love and concern. If you don't feel, we're not doing what we need to be. God bless you. I want the Lord just bow your heads. I'm gonna pray for you in Jesus' name. I'm praying, God. I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to some hearts today, and I'm praying, God, that you go with every family, every person in this building. That you would guide their footsteps and lead them today. I pray that when we go home today, that you would talk to the hearts of these people and put a hunger in every one of our hearts. Those that are listening out there today on FaceTime Live, God, put it in their hearts to get right with you. Get in the church. Get ready for the rapture. Help us not to be deceived. Help us to be awake, watching. In Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. Make our guests welcome. And it's so good to see you. Thank you for coming. You've blessed us by being here. And we hope you come back. Give somebody an air high five or air bump. Tell them you love them. God bless you.